Well, everybody, welcome to our Baker's Dozen episode, number 13. Hi, Rich and Walt. How are you? Hey, Brandon. It's Friday. It is Friday. It's been a busy week. Um, we had the P&G Signal Conference this week where you presented. You did a very good job, although I don't think you took a breath the entire time. You might want to shorten the presentation a little bit so that you have time to breathe. We need to keep you alive, Rich. It's very important to, uh, you're, you're a key man to our franchise here. F 15 minutes, not one breath, I think was my focus. Hopefully yeah. some of you also noticed that uh, we have new microphones to provide a little bit more pleasing podcast experience. This has been and an evolution as many of you know over time, so hopefully the quality is better. Thank you Spotify for the advice. Rich and Walter using their brand new white microphones. I am, uh, yes, in, in the basement of my parents' house. I think this is the most time I've spent here in, you know, today, since I was in high school many, many, many moons ago. And uh, Jason, my brother who lives here, likes to do a uh, uh, like Facebook Live. So he has all this equipment set up and I'm using a very cool microphone and a lighting system. And to be honest, I think I like the way I look when it's a little darker. Yeah, you know, when, when, when you can't see my age. So, so we're gonna be waiting for feedback on both voice quality and how you look. Yeah, always so vain. All right, it's a busy week. So why don't we get to uh, the, first, the first slide? Let's see what we have here. Okay, it's Netflix earnings. Um, Netflix reported yesterday, this really kicked off um, the earnings season for our group collectively. And Rich, why don't you give us uh, you know, your, your take on Netflix earnings? Well, I mean, look, obviously it's very hard to live up to expectations when the whisper was flying. I mean, they predicted seven and a half, they did 10. People were hoping for 13. Brandon, you were saying there were some people thinking it could be 15 to 17. And what- yeah. What I think people sort of missed, though, I mean, if you really think about it, is the fact that they added so many subscribers in, in the April timeframe, and new subs churn very quickly. And so the reality is, when you brought on all of those subs, I think what many people forgot is that that, that created sort of a mix shift in Netflix that you know impacted them towards the end of Q2. They're already starting to see a resurgence in Q3. And my gut is the two and a half million forecast is very conservative for, for Q3. And Q4 could be another monster for them. So while the stock is getting hit on, you know, on earnings, the reality is it's still up 15% from where it was last earnings. So in three months, it's up probably mid-teens. The Rich. stage is set for a big next year. I, this is just a temporary sort of shakeout or consolidation of the stock, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, I'm with you. I, a couple of observations. Um, first of all, I think, look, there's everyone is trying to justify some of the run-up in growth sure. stocks and tech stocks, uh, the Qs in general. And I think you've seen people continuously, especially on the buy side, just pushing numbers higher and higher. As I spoke to investors in mid-June, I, I, people were talking about actually doing 10 million um, in, in net ads in the quarter. And, and by last week, or even this week, I started to hear whispers of 15 to 17 um, for, for uh, Q2. And for Q3, 
I started to hear that, oh, they're going to do better than last, last year, 8 million subscribers, people forgetting about the release schedule and so on and so forth. And yes, I think the thing, as you pointed out, that everyone missed is younger uh, cohorts churn a little bit faster. Um, so we're seeing some of the churn effects from the first wave. They have been below, and I think that under lockdown, um, which, look, the U.S. especially is still, you know, not fully opened up. And with the way coronavirus is raging, it's not going to be for a while. So you're probably going to retain at a better rate than you would have. Um, but, you know, you started to see in, in Europe um, where lockdowns have eased a little bit. Um, I think uh, a little bit less on the gross ad side and a little more on the churn side. So things flattened out. But, but what, overall... But it's but a what, good year. But what could really make a difference, and I think what it, people really need to focus on, is what wasn't said. And in Q1 on the conference call, what they said was, we're not raising price uh, anytime soon. What they said on this call is, they didn't make that comment at all. Yeah. There was no comment on raising price. And I think everybody listening to this podcast should be thinking about the fact that given the engagement and the incredible amount of content on Netflix versus everywhere else, in the media ecosystem right now, I would not be surprised if in Q4, certainly in Q1 next year, I would not be surprised to see the price start to move up a little bit, especially now HBO Max is out in the marketplace at $15. Netflix at $12.99 simply looks underpriced. And I think they're going to move towards 15 pretty quickly. And I think that's going to be the next real leg up in the stock is when people kind of start focusing again on pricing power. Yeah, I think that you'll probably see pricing go up depending on uh, markets certain markets that are a little bit further away from the COVID effects will probably get their price increases first and then others like our disastrous u.s um covid uh with more covid will get the price increases later but the bottom line is there's tons of pricing power there's more engagement than there's ever been and you're going to see that play out. The, and the co-CEO the co stuff is just noise. I mean, I, you know, yeah. Ted Sarandos becoming co-CEO, he's been functioning as a CEO. I think the reality is having a little bit of long-term planning from an executive standpoint probably is good for the company. And Reed was pretty clear he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone's really worried about that. I mean, I see a lot of chatter in the press about it, but I don't think any investor is fearful of the, the kind of the co-CEO job that was announced. I'll tell you something, and not one article that I've read on this or analysis has brought this up. I think this whole co-CEO thing was really about taking the opportunity to elevate Greg Peters, who okay. seems to be ultimately um, the, the replacement for, for, for Reed in terms of long-term planning and getting him to that COO role without him having a higher title than Ted who's clearly, you know, further up in the pecking order was the reason they needed to formalize it. But in terms of compensation, you know, Ted is there <laughs> anyway. So, Okay, let's move on to the what we think is the tweet of the week. Yeah, this, I, we, usually, we usually do the tweet of the week um, at the end. Uh, but this one from The New Yorker, which Walt also found uh, on Instagram, is amazing. And for those who uh, cannot see it, it's the Magic Kingdom and the fireworks themselves are actual, actually little coronaviruses. It's um, amazing. 
It's amazing. Which, which, is, which is pretty awesome. Well, it's well, awesome only because you've got Hong Kong Disneyland closing down on government mandate for a small number of increased cases in Hong Kong at the same time that now, as of yesterday, all of the Disney parks in Orlando are open. And it's just, it's sort of hard to fathom how Hong Kong is shutting things down on a very small number of cases and Orlando and Florida are just throwing the gates open and theme parks are, have tens of thousands of people flowing into their gates. It's just, um, it's a little, uh, it's, it's not only just worrisome, it also just makes us worry or concerned about how quickly we can come out of this, which is really what we've all been thinking about a lot over the course of the last few weeks. I think there's not much, much to say. Uh, it's like we've discussed we'll fire it. Fire up the next tweet. Let's go. So many times, yeah. Well, so Walt, why don't you walk us through your takeaways from our, our conversation with Dr. Ding this week on Light Shed Live? Um, well, you're showing a couple tweets from uh, from Ding, Dr. Ding, I guess PhD Dr. Ding, um, about Corona, and and the takeaways were were basically he was not as concerned with um, droplets falling, but more so on the aerosol nature of that sticking around inside. So I think he was actually pretty bullish, Brandon, on uh, returning to sporting venues and concerts and the like. Yeah. Um, and obviously well, less bullish about indoor stuff. I, th I think uh, one, of, I think my biggest takeaway from what he was talking about is there was a point where we, we were kind of grilling him on outdoor concerts and brought up the protests where in New York, people were wearing masks, they were outdoors, and they were pretty close together, and there was no resurgence um, in COVID um, in, in New York City. The curve continued um, to move downward. So, so we asked him, that, what does this mean for outdoor concerts? And he, you know, pretty frankly said that outdoor, going to an outdoor concert with a mask is safer than going back to work, than going back to school, and so on and so forth. Uh, I wouldn't get like crazy excited from a Live Nation standpoint because I think you know to go to a to go to a concert and for them to do well, you still need to, um, as one of our friends pointed out this week, you you still need to be able to sell beer and to sell food uh, to make money, and that's a license for people to to pull their masks down. But Brandon, but you got most excited about a vaccine. Like his comments on vaccines yeah, were the I, thing I that just, excited you. Yeah, I just kind of want to you know finish up uh, on on the Live Nation thing, one thing that you're really starting to see is these drive-in concerts where people just get parking spots as areas um, and, and, and that's it. And they're at an outdoor concert. Yeah, the vaccine stuff, look, this, this Oxford vaccine sounds really, really promising. I think we're gonna hear more about it um, on Monday. The article in Bloomberg, I think the most interesting piece was that um, the woman who came up with the vaccine or spearheaded the effort actually allowed her kids to be injected with it, which I think is a pretty good sign. And it seems like that or the Moderna one will be the first ones available. And I think you're going to obviously, if, if that works, you're going to see a shift in what stocks um, investors favor. You're going to see the reopening stocks like start to move and you're probably going to see a sell-off um, in the techs, which have been uh, a, a safe haven over the last several months. The problem though, going back to what Ding said and Walt highlighted this is that indoor is still a real problem. And you know, the, even with a vaccine, we've still got a while before there is gonna be a vaccine widely available. 
we don't have bubbles for colleges. And I think all of the data points this week really point to the fact that we're not going to have a college football season, which is something we talked about on this on the show last week. I feel even more confident. We've got the NCAA president, Mark Emmert, warned today, sadly, the data points in the wrong direction. And then we've got SportsCenter with a tweet saying SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey said this morning his concern for football season is high to very high. And so it just feels like we're at the point now where college sports in the fall nationally are going to get canceled. I just or at least pushed to the spring because the aerosol nature of what we're talking about and the fact that, yes, most of these things play outside, but the players go back to dorms. There's locker rooms. All of those things do not have easy fixes. And the liability risk seems to far outweigh uh, the benefits, even though the dollars on the line are huge. It seems like very few are willing to take the medical risk. When you talk to the ADs, around the country, nobody seems to have a medical way of getting around the challenges that COVID has presented. And so I'm, I'm hopeful on a vaccine too, but I'm not sure it's going to save college sports uh, in the fall. Yeah. I, so let's I think you're right. And by the way, you know, with, with baseball now, it, this hasn't been exactly easy. You saw what happened with the Washington Nationals. There was reporting on that where Washington has, if you get COVID, it's a mandatory 14-day quarantine and some of the challenges um, that, that that would have created for the teams and the players. So EPL, it, you know, EPL plows forward with no issues. Um, yeah. MLS, MLS, I think, has had one issue, which is in the U.S., uh, Brandon, in Orlando specifically, where they're all um, kind of in location there. I think they've had one issue with the team, but in they put home. up a – Two. Yeah, in their bubble. Two, two, two teams kicked right, out that, now. Nashville kicked out too. Kicked out or delayed? Uh, removed from the tournament. Completely yeah. removed. So they're not yeah. coming back in a week or two, right? Correct. So not a great sign. Good job, Florida. What's next? <laughs> um, well, Walt, we have the, you know, I think this is sort of interesting in terms of Apple. Peacock launched this week. So that's NBC streaming service. It's not available, as we had talked about uh, in prior weeks. Not available on Roku. Not available on on Amazon Fire. And we've got a tweet from Nathan McCone basically saying, can't believe I'm considering going back to Apple TV because it's the platform, not playing hardball with app terms. Like it, we've got Apple is the, the, the universal platform or you know, kind of Switzerland, I guess is the best word for it. Apple's playing the role of Switzerland, not a place you normally think of Apple, but that's where they are. They're one of the only platforms where every app is available from HBO Max to Peacock, to Netflix, and everything else. Right. Well, look, we're a couple months away from the iPhone launch. You've had promotions in the past. I think there's already a, there's continues to be a close relationship with Charter. I'm not sure how much Charter is going to push this, but AT&T, a close relationship, and certainly with HBO Max being on there, there's certainly an opportunity for them to gain share. We'll have to see how that goes, right? It's going to be very interesting to see. I don't, I'm just less, um, I'm less optimistic in terms of whether if Comcast tried to make a pivot and, and take their box, even if Charter used their box, like how much can they really grab share in the living room? I just, it feels like that kind of has passed them on the other side. Look, you know, it's a little contradictory for me to say that, right? Cause I can say like Apple has some opportunity, but Comcast, they both have the opportunity. It seems like Apple might be in a, in a better situation here in the near term to exploit it. Let's see if they do it. By the way, so, one of my favorite parts of last night's earning interview was when they, they asked Greg Peters our question about 
Netflix potentially having to pay Roku and others uh, higher higher fees to exist on their platforms. <laughs> and look, I, I I think Netflix made the point we have massive device distribution. They were political. We try and work with the device manufacturers, so on and so forth. But they pretty much said that they're bigger <laughs> than the devices yeah. themselves in not so many words. Look, this is the battle and there's no easy answers here. And it's going to be, I mean, I think the big catalyst or the big potentially transformative event continues to be Android, which is supposedly relaunching in in September. And we'll see how bold Google gets. I I don't expect Apple to come out with a dongle that's $25, but to the extent that Google makes a real push on the OEM side with TVs, it could shift this battle. I don't think Apple, I don't... I don't foresee Apple doing an OEM play anytime soon. Well, let's just keep in mind that smart people have talked about the vertical integration and how that can theoretically be successful um, over time. I'm not sure what Roku's vertical um, integration is to maintain that 40% market share lead. The other big story of the week, of course, was Twitter, where all of a sudden I was not able to tweet because I have a blue check. Actually, our whole team who have blue check marks, we were all verified users. We were literally unable to tweet for hours, Brandon. Well, I think this was a bigger problem for some of us uh, rather than others. For those of you who don't know, the best place to get in touch with Rich Greenfield is on Twitter. There are many, many times when, I don't know, me or Walt or, or Mark or Joe are trying to get in touch with Rich, and we'll like hit him on Bloomberg, we'll, we'll hit him up on whatsapp in our in our whatsapp group we'll text him no response but then we see on our notifications there's tweets from rich greenfield flying by and so i remember those, sitting on a zoom waiting they're not getting a response from rich just dm him on twitter and it might work dm dude I, I remember we were we were on a zoom waiting for him and you're like what the fuck he's like tweeting and i actually <laughs> tweeted at him publicly saying like get off goddamn twitter and stop tweeting and get on our zoom call you remember that one uh, i do I, I i do and you know look um, that is an important client meeting rich uh, the, the bottom I line is sickness. twitter was hacked uh twitter was hacked I, I think you know federal government's investigating um jack obviously felt horrible it's actually amazing jack actually still showed up he probably got no sleep uh, but he showed up at PNG Signal Conference uh, on Thursday to talk. Uh, was supposed to be just talking about, obviously, about Twitter, but ended up spending a good amount of time talking about the hack. And, you know, look, there, there's definitely a school of thought that, like, oh, my God, this just makes it, you know, it's harder to trust Twitter or it's harder, you know, will advertisers defect? At the end of the day, we've seen basically every single platform have these types of troubles. I mean, it's the Internet, and I don't want to make excuses. And I think the reality is, uh, there's always a level of risk, and I, I think it's hard to imagine the big fans of Twitter, whether it's me, whether it's our president. Uh, I think it's very hard to imagine people stopping their use of Twitter because of events like this. I mean, obviously, if they happen on a far more regular basis, but I, I know it definitely sent Twitter stock down the day it happened or the day after it happened. But yeah, in after hours, it, rec- it recovered right back. Yeah. I mean, like these are things, this is the internet. And, you know, we talk about advertising on the internet. It's pretty scary because you're, you know, you're always exposed to sort of the problems of the internet, you know, being anywhere in terms of with your information, the internet is never going to be 
a secure place. It's just a, a fact of life. And you can do a lot of things to improve it, but you can't fix this underlying challenge. And let's keep in mind, this wasn't some 15-year-old in Brandon's basement um, hacking into the system and doing it, right? They allegedly paid off a Twitter employee right. yeah. to make all this happen. This is, this is next level. This is stuff. sophisticated crap. This is like the stuff that you would make a movie out of one day. Yeah, but it, what's really scary about it, though, and, and, and why security is just so important is what if they just hacked, I don't know, only Trump's account and tweeted something out that was very believable and it spurred people to, to action or other world leaders? I mean, this is, this is, sure. a, this is I, a very I, important issue. And I think that Jack um, at Signal was upfront with how important it is and that they're going to be transparent in what they do, not only to fix it, but to in investigate. So I think the, the, big, the, big, but the bigger risk is the personal choice of some of the tweeters. And I think there's been countless news stories by some parts of the media talking about when um, the president was tweeting from an iPhone and an Android and like, is this device locked down versus not locked down? And that's, you know, these are concerns that are broad at the company and even at the personal level in terms of how people are using the product. Well, not to mention when things go down, literally, you, you know, as Twitter becomes more of a platform where you get information and disseminate critical information out, if you're locked down Which from tweeting, is, right. So if you're locked down from tweeting, how do you get information out for a period of time? Obviously, Walt was trying to find a, a bypass having Joe retweet things for him. But I mean, no, they found the loop, the retweet loop. By, by the way, radio <laughs> broadcasters at one point were saying, look, if if the Chinese or the Russians can lock us down, there's an FM radio chip in every one of the phones. And maybe that's and this is all legacy equipment. And maybe they can broadcast the signal over the FM chip to everyone's phone. But the problem was that Apple and a lot of the, the vendors dis disabled the FM chip functionality in the phone. So there you go. If you want to put on your tinfoil hat type of stuff, check that yeah, one out as well. <laughs> okay, let's move on to hey, Comcast Charter and fakes while we're at it. No, I want to talk about <laughs> Comcast Charter and, and MVNOs and we'll, we'll go to the next slide now. So, well, this tweet by light reading is someone trying to create a conclusion off of an event that happened, which is America Mobile reported. They um, are an MVNO in the U.S. They use every wireless carrier, and they reported like 18% EBITDA margins. A typical MVNO margin is 10%. And one of the very interesting kind of sentence in the press release said they renegotiated their deal um, with a carrier, so that they lowered their costs on their on the MVNO network deal. Uh, obviously, this is an area of focus because Dish is about to launch um, service primarily on their MVNO deal with T-Mobile. And was that because the DOJ forced them to? Um, I think that was a lot of the speculation that people thought that, you know, the DOJ came in and, and this is the, the nature of this light reading tweet, which is that some of our competitors are thinking like, oh, well, this means Charter and Comcast are going to see this massive jump in margin because it was DOJ help. I think the, the, that's probably not the case. It's just competition, right? I mean, it's AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile wanting that business. Um, TrackPhone's a big, uh, big company. I think twenty plus million million customers. They were able to negotiate lower rates. I don't think that. Look, they have multiple guys right. that they can use. They can switch it in the phone. Comcast and Charter have one um, network that they're using. People speculated that they could have used AT and T as a stalking horse in order to low uh, to lower Verizon's rate plans materially. 
I really don't think that happened. We'll see when these guys report if there's any evidence of that. I just think it's track phone getting a better deal with T and, and there's really not the, the, the kind of aggressive read throughs that people are hoping for. But you've actually thought that dish could be uh, an, an, there, there could be new partners for this ultimately for the cable companies over time. Right. So the benefit to, to, to um, Comcast and Charter is going to be they should bring in a secondary person to Verizon. And what DISH has in terms of their agreement with T-Mobile and what they're going to build is the ability to broaden out the market opportunity for these cable operators and lower the price. One of the things that Sam Schwartz from Comcast was complaining about at the trial, as we've talked about before, is the, the getting charged per um, per data um, bit, like on a metered basis from Verizon, where I think Dish has an opportunity to offer them a more a better unlimited solution. We'll see how that emerges, but you know this was an, a positive early sign, I guess, just seeing what TrackPhone can do. If you're a, if you're a Dish shareholder, you're like, oh man, like 18% EBITDA margins for an MBO business. That's much better than what people thought. Um, we'll have to see what the benefit actually is going forward to the cable guys. And I guess when you, you know, we talked to Maffei a few weeks ago at Liberty, and it was pretty clear that from a charter standpoint, broadband's going incredibly well, and they certainly seem like they're getting more aggressive on the wireless front. And so as we, you know, Comcast, Charter, both have had better numbers, I guess as, as wireless becomes a bigger part of the cable story and video sunsets and becomes a smaller and smaller part of the story, I assume these MVNOs and the economics are going to matter a lot more to cable investors over the course of the next two years. Sure. I mean, wireless is tiny now. And obviously the cable mantra has been like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just to lower our churn and we're not going to have EBITDA positive. But like, okay, that was the case for Verizon, you know, at some period ago. And now 95% of Verizon's EBITDA is their wireless business, right? So look, wireless, it's undeniable that wireless is important. And as we get into 5G and really more importantly, as we get into deeper spectrum positions, what T-Mobile has with 2.5, what Verizon hopefully will get with C-Band, this is going to be a more relevant issue that these cable guys have to address. Let's move okay, on. Okay, let's stick with the DOJ. Brandon, uh, some big news out of uh, the DOJ regarding Liberty and iHeart. Yeah, so the DOJ said that if, if Liberty wants, they could purchase up to 50% of iHeart. I'm not sure exactly what they went um, to the DOJ with whether they wanted to, were hoping for a controlling stake, and the DOJ came back and said, "No, you can own up to fifty percent. This isn't something that you you can consolidate because of the totality of your of your other assets." Um, so whether this was a, a win or a loss, but look, and I'm also not sure. I think when they went to the DOJ originally, it was probably pre-COVID, so I'm not even sure what they want to do now. But look, Liberty has said that they want to increase their share of the year. That was very clear at their analyst day. Uh, if you're looking at the U.S., iHeart has a lot of share of the year. Uh, people still listen to free AM, FM radio, and they are by far the biggest station holder, and they have a huge podcast presence, um, whether you know uh, people talk about it or not. They have a lot, a lot of podcasts. So you know, it, it, it gets them there. And then once, if they get to 50%, what happens to it in the future? You know, if they, if they wind up um, doing a reverse uh, Morris trust into, into Siri, they could take it with them and then they'll be separated from live nation and potentially they'll be allowed to consolidate. And there's massive synergies probably between the sort of Siri, I, uh, sorry, Siri, 
um, Pandora Stitcher uh, world and and uh, the largest AM/FM radio station holder and huge podcast holder in the U.S. So it would get them on the way there. But what they're chasing is the next set of slides or the next set of pictures, which is Spotify, right? I mean, Spotify yeah. is the stock's gone vertical. I mean, you've got a, a market cap I'm staring at right now of $49 billion on Spotify. Uh, this thing has well more than doubled since we had Daniel Eck on Lightshed Live a number of weeks ago. I mean, it's, it's insane what's happened in terms of the, the valuation. But, yeah, but I think I just I'll just like interject on that. And you're going to talk about this Michelle Obama podcast. By the way, this podcast deal was announced a year ago. Okay, the the Michelle Obama deal, and the stock was up five percent on it yesterday. I think it's just kind of a sign of you know where where the market is right now, and how it, investors and certain and probably retail investors trying to either justify um, valuations or um, not being that aware and deeply involved in, in these names that they're buying, but go ahead. No, I was, to me, it's like this, this phrase, and you know, this, this is a tweet from Daniel Eck. It's an extraordinary privilege to have Michelle Obama podcast as the first series from our multi-year deal with the former president Barack and first lady, Michelle Obama episode one debuts in just 13 days only on Spotify. And I think that last three words only on Spotify is going to be something you see a lot more. And it's, Again, it, it, one of the things that's, it, that's been true about music services is that they all have the same music, whether it was Apple Music, whether it was Spotify. You know, you, you remember we've had many, many music services over the years. You couldn't really differentiate. It was all about features. But what podcasts allow Spotify to do is they become a more comprehensive audio platform rather than just music platform is that you can have content, whether it's Joe Rogan, which we've talked about in prior weeks, or Michelle Obama you have content that you literally can't get anywhere else. And I think that's the type of power with consumers that really makes a difference. And we've seen it work with Netflix. Uh, obviously it works with platforms, legacy platforms like HBO and what they're trying to do with HBO Max. But in audio, no one's tried to do this yet. We're gonna see how well it works, but when you have the sort of diverse content from, I mean, Joe Rogan to Michelle Obama are probably, you know, opposite yep. ends of, of the spectrum, male, female, and nope. uh, well beyond of, that. Remind you of Netflix trying to kind of hit everybody with something that's meaningful to them, something that they'll be passionate about. And as long as the, as long as the functionality is good, right? I mean, the, the um, Castro app that I use is phenomenal for a number of different reasons, which I won't detail. Podcasting um, app, to be clear. Correct. A podcasting app. It doesn't music. I still use Spotify for music, but if they want more, if they want more of my time um, in terms of going over to Spotify, if the functionality is the same, um, then, you know, then I switch over and then I can probably just abandon Castro and Castro is something I actually pay a monthly fee for in terms of service. <laughs> Let's move on. Next, I, I just uh, do want to point out that yes. my, I have a new background, which is Joel Embiid in a hazmat suit, which is, pretty cool looking Go see. Walt take us uh the new on carrier was it exciting this is the 21st uh, on carrier um this is kind of the hallmark for t-mobile they started this back in 2013 it's why they've been kind of dominant in share i think over the since they've launched on carriers they've probably gotten 70 or 80 percent uh market share in, in in terms of net additions 
look, the, the, the knock is like, have they run out of ideas? A lot of the stuff was a lot more exciting. It drove gross ads. They used to do calls. Like they would do an uncarrier and then they would schedule an investor call with the CFO to talk about the impact on the model. There was no calls yesterday. Now, to be fair, like this is, this is the case for a lot of the uncarriers in recent years. So, and you can make the same argument against Apple in terms of, Look, they don't do anything revolutionary anymore, but they still are growing share, and both you know companies obviously are doing exceedingly well. Um, but look, it's it's the it's the new wave um, for for T-Mobile. It's the it's the latest in carrier. It's not all that exciting, but they're probably in a situation that it doesn't have to be exciting. That the exciting stuff for T-Mobile is going to come when they build out the two point five, and we can see see what they can do with the depth of spectrum and what Verizon can do with their depth of spectrum. And can they, you know, you can be fancy about it and talk about all the, what 5G enables and things like that. But the easy one is, can they go after the broadband residential market after they, after they deploy these deep spectrum blocks? We'll so, see. So not Future exciting, but you're not, but you're not worried about it, at least in the near term. Bottom line is not exciting for sure. Um, I mean, the presentation itself seemed a bit forced by the company um, in terms of, you know, just trying to ham it up a little bit too much. Um, but again, that's kind of been the pattern for T-Mobile and they continue to get the vast majority of share. This is a pivotal year. We'll see cables gaining a lot of traction as we've talked about before. Dish is about to launch. So it's been fine doing what they're doing versus two slow moving companies in AT&T and Verizon. Um, but we'll see if they're going to need to juice it a little bit more this year, given the incremental competition that's underway. So there's been lots of noise this week about TikTok being banned in the U.S. Uh, there was panic about Amazon banning it and then not banning it. There was governments investigating whether it should be banned or should banned for government employees. At the same time, um, we've got news out of Facebook that they are expanding Reels. So Instagram Reels is essentially their TikTok clone and which it was sort of in certain countries around the world being beta tested, I think India, but now it's going worldwide, or at least it's going to another 50 countries, uh, was the story from Dylan Byers over at NBC uh, earlier this week. And so it's sort of interesting. On the one hand, this was launched as a, hey, TikTok's doing something really interesting. We should copy them, which is sort of classic Facebook maneuvering. But now yeah. it obviously gets that much more interesting because if you actually – if, if it, the app actually did get banned, it would obviously be a huge opportunity for someone to step in with a clone. And so it's obviously interesting from that perspective. But the, the, the exact same moment, there's this story out of Snapchat that someone caught a beta test of Snapchat testing a change in functionality. So right now, you know, and I'm literally tapping my finger, you tap on the screen to advance everything inside of Snapchat. Now they've got, if you want to flip through Discover, you would actually swipe up the same kind of kind of use case that you do or you know user behavior that you use inside of TikTok and i don't know whether this is going to be rolled out but it's just sort of interesting how lots of copying of TikTok and then on top of it uh, you know copying the functionality as well but unless they change what they're actually serving you if it's just going to be the same thing as always in terms of what your followers are having as opposed to a good algo that's giving you stuff that you actually want to look at then is it really no, I mean, an alternative? Yeah, well, I, that's what everyone's missing, right? What, what makes TikTok awesome, like the reason, Walt, you enjoy TikTok so much is that they've created 
an algorithm that came from Doyan in China, that the, the Chinese version of TikTok, that algorithm that figures out what you would like is incredible. And we've all experienced it. It is the most incredible algorithm. I have no and, idea and how leveraging, it works. And which, leveraging global scale to do that. Which, which by the way, I, I think Facebook, one of, one of the things that separated Facebook from its competitors early on was its ability to use AI um, and algorithmically figure out what, what you want to uh, see, right? I mean, that's been there all along. I think with, with Instagram, and it's something obviously Twitter has done, so on and so forth, in Instagram is basically you're only seeing um, what, you, what your followers are posting. And TikTok, you're seeing you know, from everything that's out there. A hundred percent. But on top of that, Walt makes a great point. And we see this in the, in the video services, you know, Peacock can't leverage data from people overseas. The global scale, you know, when you've got, you know, hundreds of millions of subscribers, or you know, take whether we're talking yeah. Spotify, whether we're taking Netflix, the global scale of the data set that these companies have, and you see 100%. it with, like, it, it, it is and a the fact that they're, you're, they're getting your views on random videos as opposed to just your your views on the videos posted by your friends. Like, great. Yeah. Let's yes. say that, let's say my friend posted something yeah. I liked a lot. It, so what? What do you do with it? It's, it has it has no value. It's a tree falling in the forest with no fucking value. So if you have TikTok where you're basically sourcing it throughout the entire world, then you can bubble up the created content that has value to the top. It's yes, it's pretty simple. So That's like changing, so, so mimicking it, <laughs> mimicking it functionally is pointless. It's literally pointless. There's, there's three different graphs here, right? There is sort of your friends graph, which was Facebook, your interest graph, which, you know, Twitter is, and then TikTok, which your graph is what AI almost tells you your graph is, but that's for now. I think if you, if, we watched the Signal conference and we watched the Asia portion of it the other night and Bike Dan presented and they talked a lot about TikTok, um, non-China non here, right? And they pretty much laid out their, their strategy and TikTok, and we've talked about this many times, is not gonna be what it is right now in a few years. What it is right now is a mousetrap and they've already added in Live, live streaming, if you have a thousand or more followers, that's gonna be expanded greatly. There is messaging in, in the app already. I think you're gonna see tighter connection with friends. And in China and other places, they've already been distributing longer form content um, with TikTok. They said very specifically, they're, gonna, they're going to, right now you could do a 15 second TikTok here or a minute sec, uh, TikTok. They'll add the two minutes, the five minutes, the 10 minutes. So they'll expand the type of content that's on the platform and they'll, they'll grab the linkage um, with, with friends in more through messaging. And they're going right for Facebook to be sort of the dominant um, digital media distribution platform um, mm. in the world. That's right, so it's easy to see it. how they can go that way. The question is, can Facebook go the other way? Right, they're on a collision course, right? And it seems, Rich, as you answer? pointed out, like it's probably actually easier. Now, look, Facebook has the non-China scale. Um, it still, it still dwarfs TikTok, I believe. But 
is it easier to go from having the AI in place and having users who are used to seeing content from from everywhere, or being are you hamstrung like legacy media companies are hamstrung by what they used to be by the fact that your whole thing is built off of your friends graph? Let me let me just point out one thing you just said: non-China scale. <laughs> I mean, China is the scale. No, right? but I mean, it's a different it's a it's a different platform in China. I hear you. It's, it's, it's still built on the same back end, though. And I think that's what makes it very hard to remove TikTok from China is that the technology was all built and that algorithm is part of what the underlying Doyan is built on. So I look at right, So but they, they can benefit, whether it's for the algo or otherwise, from the true global scale. The U.S. providers right. are limited from their inability to benefit from that scale. Uh, look, although in, look, unless our government puts them on an equal... Over 2 billion users. I think they have as much data um, as they're going to (laughs) need, right? Yep. Algorithm-wise, I don't think there's much of a difference between 2 billion and 5 billion at at that point. No, I I think the only difference is is to to Walt's point, to to, to Walt's point, the Explore tab is sort of the TikTok for you feed. The, the Explore feed and Instagram is dwarfed by the people that use – the For You feed is the primary way you experience TikTok. Explore is the ancillary yep. part of Instagram. And so there, it, it is not about your friends. It's not about who you follow. It really is the serendipity of the TikTok that really sets it apart. And I think so that's create what they, a different app and a different brand. I mean, you have a different brand between Facebook and Instagram. Create a well, that's what brand. they're doing with Reels. That's Reels. Instagram Reels is that attempt, and we'll see whether it works. Okay, let's and move on. They've Gaming. done that before. They've tried to With know, what? launch, right, whatever, move on. Gaming. What, Brandon? Yeah, look, um, we... Betting. Yeah, we did a sports betting panel um, a couple of weeks ago, and the wide consensus was that New York um, and California, which are the two largest potential markets for sports betting, um, would not be legalizing anytime soon. Uh, I think I think the consensus was New York was a 2022 or 2023 event, and California well, was going to be later than that. It looks like um, sports betting in New York is is back on the table. Um, there's this tweet we have from the New York Post Assembly Speaker Carl Heasty is legalizing um, mobile sports betting. I think you have major budget shortfalls in a lot of states because of the impact of COVID, uh, which the thesis is should make more states want to open up um, sports betting for for the revenue. I will say this, though. I think last year, 2019, full year for New Jersey, with a lot of people from New York going there, the total tax take was like 34, I think it was $34 million. And you're talking about $13 billion budget shortfalls. I don't think that legalizing, you know, sports betting is going to make that much of an impact. Um, well, that's the, that's the irony here is that it sounds great on paper of, hey, sports betting is going to be the savior to the New York budget crisis or whatever your state may be. And the problem is the numbers are just not large enough to really move the needle. So, look, it may help, and this may spark conversations. I mean, I think people yeah. were really hopeful about California a couple months ago, as you said, and that sort of faded. And I, I, I just fear that when people actually run the math, that they realize that this is not the savior and that that sort of stalls yeah. the process. I, I, just to contextualize it, I think 
that 34 million that Jersey did in in tax revenue from from sports betting and is is basically a month of taxation on marijuana in Colorado. And I don't know what the population size difference is between Colorado and New York, but I, it's probably not that big. So you're not talking about a huge tax revenue basis, and there are other things um, that, that could probably get you there too, but who knows? We love to end on Elon, Walt. Why don't you explain what's <laughs> happening this week? Well, in this case, Starlink, which is a basically a subsidiary of SpaceX, this is, again, sending satellites in the air to provide internet service. Um, so they started actually going out and trying to get beta users, <clears throat> which attracted a lot of attention. So they're kind of launching. The antennas are really cool looking in, in typical kind of Tesla, Elon fashion, um, create a little bit of a buzz. There's a, an issue brewing, though. We actually did an, a light shed access event on it this week in that um, Elon wants to move his satellites from a very high altitude or a higher altitude to halfway down, closer to Earth. Um, there's a lot of benefits, which we don't need to detail here in that. The problem with that is if they do that, Dish and DirecTV are saying, oh, it may interfere with our pay TV service. But more importantly, Dish owns a chunk of spectrum that they were hoping to convert for terrestrial 5G use. It's 500 megahertz. It probably works a lot better than this millimeter wave spectrum that we've talked about before with Verizon and, and T-Mobile. So there is a battle brewing at the FCC. We did an interesting light shed on it this week with one of the big spectrum owners that is trying to, to, trying to use this. But it's basically, you're, you're almost like pitching Starlink and the benefit that they can bring to internet to, to, to at the minimum, rural users and maybe even more so than that against dish potentially getting some more valuable spectrum for 5g and broadband competition and more population dense markets and, and and let's just say the fcc approved or wanted to do this how fast could something a happen meaning not just approval wise but also how how easy is it to reposition to a lower level um so they're already doing it they're already authorized on some of the satellites so they send code up there and it and there's little thrusters and it sends the satellite down and they can actually send it to, to burn it up so the issue is that they want all of their satellites to be switched that way and and you know the spectrum holders this was the old and i don't know if you remember this wireless cable remember mmds yeah, this was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I this totally is remember. that spectrum and now it can be used for 5G. So it's, you know, it would be great if all of these things could, could work. Um, but it's a, another, there's never sh a shortage of good spectrum battles. And it's certainly going to be fun. Elon's involved. By the way, the UK government is involved because they're buying OneWeb off of, um, off of uh, SoftBank. And also Amazon is another company that wants to put up these, you know, these satellites at a lower Earth or, or orbit. Does it matter, Republican, is there any shift or does it matter like Biden, Trump in terms of who is running the FCC in terms of this getting approved? I mean, we had a former FCC commissioner on the call that we did this week. I asked him that exact question and he didn't seem to think it, it was, you know, it was a political issue one way or another. I mean, you could argue if Elon appeals to one president versus another, there might be a little angle um, a little angle there, but the issue at hand, though, it doesn't seem like it, it should matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat that's running the FCC going forward. Broadband competition potentially going up yet again. 
Maybe. Absolutely. By the way, you didn't comment on my haircut. I got a nice haircut this week. Oh, it looks actually, Walt, it looks fantastic. Thank you very much. For those of you who aren't watching, Walt is keeping the long hair look. Although it's kind of hard to see without the green screen. But we missed missed the biggest story of the week. We missed the biggest story of the week, literally. Me me going into WeWork? Yeah. Tell tell everyone what your (laughs) WeWork, I mean, let's spend one minute. What was your WeWork experience like? Our we were. There was a lot of hand sanitizer in the lobby, and then there's only two people per elevator. And there did was, you see anyone in the elevator? Uh, well, like, Zach did you have a ride mate? Me. Okay. <laughs> he brought his son. <laughs> yeah, he counts. He's okay. in the bubble. Okay. Uh, but on the floor itself, um, basically, there was three people on the entire floor, um, and it was empty. And it was very clear that many companies. Um, had moved out of, of their office space. I would say, I don't know, 30, 40% was probably the occupancy, which is probably half what it was when we vacated that place in, in March or April. So yeah, and then, and then I got my hair cut. I talked to a couple of the local vendors and everyone's just like, it just doesn't seem like anyone's coming back. You go, on, you go on the streets and it seems fine. By the way, in New York City, compared, I, I was in Chatham, Massachusetts, whatever, two weekends ago, 100% of people were wearing masks. In New York City, not 100%. There's still people walking around New York City not wearing masks. So it seemed kind of normal on the street. And then you go in the office and it's, it's just a barren, depressing situation in, in the offices. On, on that, that note, yeah, <laughs> on was, that uplifting note. <laughs> no, seriously, Walt, I think you ruined my weekend. And that was like a Debbie Downer way to end the podcast. But uh, yeah, wear your mask, we're, people. We're excited. Happy weekend. It's Friday pop bottles I mean, it like is raining now it is raining you just said that we're not going to get college football until the spring i mean <laughs> uh, look I, I, to be Walt fair i'm getting i'm getting nervous about pro football I, i'm uh, getting nervous about pro football i really am everything i'm getting nervous about everything next week we hope to have brandon on full connectivity for the entire podcast <laughs> <laughs> with a microphone yeah. Don't forget about the vaccine. What did Dr. Ding tell us? You could, you we're, could be we're, nervous about the next couple of months. But also, like, if you listened, I think we all listened to uh, Dr. Fauci on with Zuck yesterday, and he expressed some, you know, pretty, pretty good optimism about the vaccine, like, without the deleterious effects. And, you know. Oh, good. That's a good impersonation. Was that, was that a good Fauci? He, he, I don't know why he uses deleterious. All the time. He loves that that word. Um, So I I have optimism about the vaccine. At this point, I'll take it. If if our lives are somewhat back to normal, it's six months or nine months from now. I'd literally sign for that at this point, and it's something to look forward to, like a vacation. I don't know. Well, that comes from someone that doesn't have kids that can withstand (laughs) six to nine months of dealing with schooling your children at home. Which yeah, that sucks. Anyone on this podcast that has kids knows where we're all at on that one. That's a tough one. Have a great weekend, everyone. That's 13. Bye, guys.